Sarah Marshall, how are you doing? I'm doing good, I think, actually. I feel like I have good things happening in my life, and doing this show is one of them. And on Thanksgiving, stay home alone in my own house, and I've ordered a charcuterie plate that's intended for six to eight people, but I've purchased it for me by myself, like Quint. And I'm just going to eat charcuterie and, and watch whatever movies I want and be all alone. And I'm excited about it. Do you have any ideas about what it might be? Oh, I'm sure it'll be some horror. I'm sure it'll be some Christmas movies. Those are two of my favorite kinds of movies. Sure, sure. This was, So this conversation was from, you know, one of our first couple episodes before we knew what the format of the show is really going to be. And this will just be sort of a snip of that conversation. What was your experience with Saved by the Bell as a young person? It just was something that was always somewhere on TV. And I remember finding it kind of a little bit eerily charming, actually, because it was a sitcom about kids that took place in a little bit of an unreal seeming world, right? It's like the school where there's not really other students they don't really bother to pretend that they're around the way I do on, the way they do on other shows. Like it's like this very sunny kind of David Lynch reality, you know, like it's a, it's a weird world they're in. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh God. That's such, that's, that's a great way to say it. It's like, it's like if, um, blue velvet never turned. <laughs> oh my God. But wouldn't you love to see like blue velvet, but with Zach Morris instead of the Kyle MacLachlan character, but he keeps like oh turning with the, or he like stops time when like Frank starts doing his thing. And <laughs> now that we have deep fakes, maybe this is possible. This is exactly the sort of thing that I want is a, is just like scene for scene remakes of movies that evoke. Just, Starring Zach Morris. Yes. Or your favorite, or, or, or the, the Fresh Prince crowd, you know, like yes. just, uh, that's what I want to see. Family matters in, uh, yes. in Firewalk with me. This is one of the good reasons for all this technology that we have that seems to only add trouble to our lives. Yeah, like if we're going to have like all this facial recognition software and deep fake technology, we should at least be able to do a mashup between Boy Meets World and Once Upon a Time in America. (laughs) (laughs) Those boys really met the world. They met it fast. <laughs> All right. So ultimately, we talk about Save by the Bell. We talk about Zach Morris and his dad and his uh, his other dad, uh, Richard Belding. So his his real dad is kind of absentee, and his fake dad is around him all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. That's just what we talk about. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we dwell on sort of the comedy and tragedy of Mister Belding, right? He's, to me, the most lovable of all these characters in the end. He is absolutely the most lovable of all the characters. The the most conservative, with it character of the show is the hero at the end of the day. You know, which makes sense. Like, the most conservative buttoned-up character of the show would be the hero of Blue Velvet if it never turned. I also, I'm just, like, thinking about who all is going to be in these roles, you know? And I'm thinking of the uh, the magician diner guy as... as um, <laughs> oh gosh what's dean stockwell's character name? i don't i just call him dean stockwell yeah, you know well me. there Come you on. go <laughs> <laughs> max would be dean stockwell in blue velvet <laughs> well now that we've established this i feel like we've really made some progress today <laughs> all right let's watch saved by the bell let's watch it
so I know sort of the basic character types on it. I know that Zach is like the Ferris Bueller guy and Kelly is like his like pretty on again, off again girlfriend. Kelly and Jesse are kind of the Betty and Veronica of the show, arguably. And then there's Lisa and Screech. There's like three boys and three girls and they all have a will they or won't they kind of a thing going on the whole time. I remember it very fondly and that it feels similar to me to Welcome Back, Cotter, where like it takes place in this high school where there's really only six students and like an authority figure and everybody else like doesn't really exist. They're just sort of standing around in the background. So like a lot of the plots, I feel like, are kind of essentially between Zach and Mr. Belding, the principal, in the same way that like Welcome Back Cotter episodes. It's like the Batman and Joker. Yeah, yeah, they are like that. Yeah. Who is ultimately Welcome Back Cotter about Cotter and Mr. and Barbarino? Welcome Back Cotter is about Cotter and his different students. So Barbarino and Epstein and <laughs> Horshack, who's like who Screech seems like very closely modeled on. And I think that Dustin Diamond and the guy who played Horshack, so Horshack and Screech had like a celebrity boxing tournament in the 90s and at least a couple of notable instances celebrity boxing contained face-offs where like one of the celebrities was like this is a way to get a paycheck whatever and the other celebrity like really went full rocky and just like fucked up the other person and that's what happened with Dustin Diamond yeah Screech fucked up Horshack he's also like 30 years younger than him probably so of course he did Screech also has historically I believe for at least 20 years has been just off the rails yeah when that show originally started and it was a Haley Mills fronted show. Do you know this? No. It's so funny that I've been watching a bunch of Haley Mills vehicles lately, though. Right. I was thinking about that. So so Saved by the Bell originally was launched as a show about it was a teacher and her students. The students involved, I believe it was Zach, Screech and Lisa, when those actors had to be 12 years old. They looked very young. And it was based in a Midwestern school. It was called Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Which is such an intense name. That's like Goodbye, Mr. Chips or something. It sounds like it's a British wartime drama. <laughs> Good morning, Miss Bliss. We know we were Bliss last night, but we've all learned our Keats poems. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the vibe of the show a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> and then they were like, hey, guess what kids in the 80s don't necessarily love? Haley Mills. <laughs> a show about kids kind of exactly like them. Let's put this in Southern California and have Mr. Belding involved and make it much more about that. And that's how Saved by the Bell happened. Brilliant. Which is all to say that Dustin Diamond has just been, he's like the quintessential off the rails child star. Yeah. I sent over a couple episodes. I really want to focus on two of these just to have some focus. I sent over Rent-A-Pop, Rent-A-Pop, which is essentially about um, Zach trying to keep... Rent-A-Pop is like a classic Shakespearean comedy of errors. Right, starring a Shakespearean actor or someone who's pretending to be one. Mm -hmm. And then the fabulous Belding boys, Mr. Belding is essentially Bayside's dad. Mm -hmm. I feel like as far as painting an ideology about like what dads are, the fabulous Belding boys tries like hell to do that. Who are dads in the Saved by the Bell universe based on these two episodes? So 
In Rent-A-Pop, we see Zach Morris's dad, who is like a computer salesman. He calls Zach a chip off the old computer block oh, or wow. something. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and who, and then, and it's funny because we do get like an in-universe explanation for why Zach has a cell phone in like 1991, which is that his dad also has a cell phone, and there is, and his dad works in computers, and they're a very techie family, which I very much appreciate because it's weird that Zach has a cell phone, and so we see that Zach's dad is just like constantly getting cell phone calls he's like an early version of really i mean honestly this is an example of saved by the bell correctly anticipating the future of parenting which is that you know his work is like considered so urgent that he's constantly getting interrupted in the midst of trying to have a conversation with his son and so zach kind of starts trying to tell his dad that he's getting bad grades and he does it by being like if my friend were to get these grades could he go on the school trip and his dad's like certainly not and he's like well fuck that I'm gonna hire a fake dad and it's gonna be <laughs> this fancy actor who works at the diner we all go to all the time Zach's grades are fucked Mr. Belding says if you want to go on this trip we need to get your dad in here and talk to him about it that dynamic is strange and let's touch on that like Mr. Belding doesn't want to talk to the mom he wants to talk to the dad specifically Zach floats the the issue to his dad his dad says i would ground your friend for the rest of his life and so zach does some wild shit which reminds me of a documentary i saw and i can't remember what the name of it was but a documentary on the catholic church you know remember their whole thing where they molested a bunch of kids and hit it <laughs> their whole thing yeah i mean i remember seeing this documentary 13 years ago and this stuck out to me there was a woman on this documentary that i remember she said that her father said to her, if anybody ever touches you, meaning obviously assaults you or rapes you, if anyone ever touches you, I'm going to kill them. And you tell me and I'm going to kill them. And she got molested serially in the church. And she said the reason she did not tell her father about it was because she didn't want her father to go to jail for killing somebody. And it reminds me of these things that parents say. And I understand their parents are almost 100% of the time out of their depth. And I think that a lot of times they're like, I'm going to posture in a particular way to let my kid know that I'm serious. And as a result, they inadvertently create a situation in which their kid doesn't fucking want to talk to them. And that's what we have with Zach. Who, as a result, hires a diner waiter to first impersonate his father for a meeting with Mr. Belding, and then to impersonate Mr. Belding so that his father... Can, so it's like he's orchestrating a meeting between his two father figures during which both of them meet with this sort of permissive fantasy actor dad. So it's this really, honestly, they, there's a lot of layers in, in that story where Zach has like three, four, four different father figures, two of them made up who he's like having talked to each other. Zach's four dads. That's what that should be called. They're at the Max, which is their famous popular hangout. And they're confronted with a new waiter who we see, I think, in maybe one or two other episodes. He is a very over-the-top actor who happens to also be a waiter, which is a trope they don't touch on, but I love that they do it. He's a little bit of a, a sideshow Bob type. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's extraordinarily over the top and always in another character and made me think that he was grooming Zach to fuck him. <laughs> God. Because Zach explains his conundrum, which is he wants to go on this school trip and he yeah. can't because his grades are bad. And the guy says in in a way that I believe the show creators didn't think was creepy, but was absolutely creepy. He says, if you were my son, I'd let you go. And I was like, oof, get away from this guy immediately. <laughs> but Zach hires him. <laughs> we should talk about who Zach Morris is as a protagonist, because he's like, he definitely is the main character of the show. And they established that by having like, he's the only one. I believe who can talk to the camera. Like, does anyone else get to do that? No, you're correct. He this is Zach's universe. Right. So like he's he's very much like a low rent Ferris Bueller or a high rent Parker Lewis. <laughs> and so and Zach like, you know, starts off the episode by like telling us what's going on. And I think he's he's an appealing main character because like he is very much like a teenage fantasy of a protagonist. He's a, he's a Mary Sue type character where like nothing ever really gets beyond Zach, you know? So like nothing, to, it would be like the most traumatizing Saved by the Bell episode of all time and like a truly upsetting thing if there was something where like the story got away from Zach and he was like kidnapped by truck smugglers or something or even just like was held accountable yeah say but the bell's a fantasy about a boy who's never held accountable <laughs> yes it is a lot like archie comics i feel like in the sense that like all these sort of fun cute adventures happen but like nothing ever matters and everyone like kind of learns something at the end but like not really because learning is intense so yeah like zach never feels jeopardized like the world is never scary it's like a world of the complexity imagined by like a 14 year old boy which is probably one of the charming things about it i hadn't caught that until until watching these three episodes sort of back to back is that in each of these episodes, you kind of get a fantasy of their view of all of the th bad things that could potentially happen to them, which is very much like being a teenager in a really interesting way. Yeah. I was surprised by how smart Saved by the Bell is in that arena, is Zach is kind of constantly fantasizing in one way or another about about how, how terribly things could go, and that's kind of what motivates him. And then this episode after his dad suggests that he would ground his friend forever, Zach imagines a situation in which he's an 80-year-old man still grounded in his house. And and all the things that are dear to him are sort of like passing by and he's lost his whole life as a result. And so that's kind of, he's motivated entirely by fear, which is, there's this, there's this really funny series, I don't know if you've ever seen it, called Zach Morris's Trash Online, where it's the... Sh it's these short reviews of these episodes that take seriously Zach's personality and suggest that he's he's uh, terrible. If you take it in context about this fear that he lives with, which is the fear that all teenagers live with, you can kind of see what he's motivated by. This might have only happened in one Lifetime movie, but I feel like Mark Paul Gosselar kind of post Zach Morris ended up playing sort of like villainous types. Because there is, like, the other side of the Zach Morris coin is, like, Ted Kennedy leaving a young woman to drown in a car. Nothing can catch me. Nothing can touch me, you know? And the fact that, like, the fact that Slater always calls him preppy is, like, it's it's true. Like, he is, he is that and everything it means. You do feel like Zach Morris, like, that character could grow up to be, like, 
implicated in something quite bad. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's an episode in which Slater's dad is going to send Slater to Hawaii because his dad is is in the military and they've always wanted to go to Hawaii and Slater's found a home in Bayside, et cetera, et cetera. But Screech essentially says to Zach, you really want for this to happen because before Slater got here, you were the top that, you know, the top dog in the situation. And Slater has gotten here and he's stronger. He's more attractive. He's in this universe, quote, exotic. I don't think Screech says that, but he's suggesting that. And as a result, Zach doesn't have a monopoly on all of the power that he used to have beforehand. Like, again, they're not saying anything explicitly, but which is wild. Screech is like the Tyrion Lannister of this show, isn't he? He's the Tyrion Lannister who's warning about the white genocide, right? He's... <laughs> He's like, before this guy got here, you had everything. Now you have nothing. God, this show has everything. It sure does. So what happens in this in this literal ruse with Zach and Mr. Velding? So I love how they conclude this because they have first Mr. Belding meet with the waiter thinking the waiter is Zach's dad. And then Zach's dad meets with the waiter thinking the waiter is Mr. Belding. And it's also interesting to have Zach's dad in the episode because like... To me, the most charming theme of Saved by the Bell is that Mr. Belding, like, wants Zach to approve of him. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just, like, something very inappropriate considering his work as an educator, but, like, very charming about Mr. Belding because, like, he doesn't feel like a dangerous figure at all. He just seems like a fellow kid who, like doesn't realize that he's an adult now. And also you feel like Zach feels like a lot of affection for Mr. Belding. And like, that's kind of the real relationship in the show. Like Zach and Kelly, they like kind of have references to like, we have chemistry and you're like, yeah, okay. But like Zach and Mr. Belding have scenes together. They have moments, like a lot of them consistently. And so then the way that Mr. Belding and Zach's dad figure out that he's been conning them both is that Mr. Belding is at the school carnival that Zach is allowed to be at because of his deceptions. And Mr. Belding is in the, like, the dunk tank, and Zach's dad throws the thing to dunk him, and they end up meeting that way. So, like, he gets his dueling, his dueling dads cross paths. And Mr. And, yeah, and Mr. Belding is kind of antagonizing and intimidating his, or, you know, trying to, like, verbally antagonize his father is, like, part of the fun. And then they, they, there's this, you know, this grand meeting between these two that ultimately sinks Zach. Like, when these two father figures end up meeting each other, it fucks Zach over so hard because he actually has to be responsible for a second. Um, but fortunately, faced, you know, faced with the situation, which is it's revealed to his dad all that has happened. Zach has the excuse that the reason he did all of this is because his father is ultimately an absentee father and has spent all of Zach's recent childhood on this on his cell phone, which is, as you said earlier, so oddly prescient for the the moment now. Um, and and this is what this is why I selected this episode. This this episode stands out to me from my childhood. I remember watching this originally and being like and feeling like it was so meaningful that a young person in fantastic that a young person could have a moment in which they were able to kind of hold a mirror up to their parent and their parent would see who they were. Yeah. 
And how does Zach do that with his dad in like this final confrontation scene? It's the best. Like it is. <laughs> I'm shocked that this episode doesn't have 1,000 Emmys. I don't know how they would do it, but <laughs> Zach's father is about to rain the fury down for all of the things that have happened. And uh, with regard to the deceit in Zach's grades, uh, all of the bad things that have occurred that Zach's been caught in. And while he is confronting Zach about it, he's getting a number of calls about computer sales on his cellular telephone. And then after <laughs> after going through two of the calls or three of the calls, he's offering free Dodgers tickets. He's really putting on the heat in the cell. He gets a call from his son who has a very similarly sized cell phone, which is the size of a, of a size 14 Converse sneaker, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, calls, his son is calling him via his cell phone, who is in the same room, and it's Zach, obviously, and he says that this is the only way, Dad, I can get in touch with you. I can get through to so you. So good. Oh, my God. It is. Oh, it's so. It When, when Saved by the Bell didn't land very often, but when it landed, it, it just landed super hard. Yeah. And so. Because they, they gave it their all, you know. They gave they it did. 110%. <laughs> they did. And Zach's dad in all of 30 seconds not only sees himself and realizes that he has not connected with his son since he, I think they've de they determined since he was like nine or 10 years old. And Zach mm -hmm. has to be like 37 in this episode. And, <laughs> and his, and then his dad not only sees himself, but given the opportunity to close a really fantastic sale that weekend, he turns, he turns it down. He turns down probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in a cell so that he can spend the weekend with his son fishing. Yeah, I love that. I love that sitcom dad learning curve where you like point something out to them. This is what I loved about Growing Pains as a kid is that like the Seaver is lived in like a just household where like if you were like, hey, mom and dad, this thing that you did is hypocritical. They'd be like, that is correct. And I will act upon your statement, you know. As opposed to like, you know, a, a, a parentally run dictatorship, which I think many of us watching these sitcoms <laughs> lived in. Watching these shows, I absolutely, a couple of things happened. One, I absolutely understood our need for The Sopranos come the late 90s. Yes. Like I understood how we needed to watch a dad. And who for was, Homer Simpson. And for Homer, absolutely. And for Homer Simpson, like this around the same time, I absolutely mm -hmm. understood how we needed to see a father who was so profoundly fucked up. I mean, I, I know it's it's subjective to say is something like good or bad, but what did these images of parents who could be changed in 24 minutes minus, minus commercials do to those of us who lived in dictatorships? I mean, I think it's like both good and bad things, right? Like you, I think I derive from it this false idea that like other dads were all like Alan Thick. And mine was the only one that wasn't, um, which is not true. <laughs> and but also you get this idea of like, well, it is possible to be kind of seen as as a rational being, even as a child and for parents to be accountable to you. And then I also feel like, you know, when you're not getting something, it's just comforting to absorb it in sort of TV proxy form and that's what these shows are for in a lot of ways like I think you know cheesy TV sitcoms were like an important substitute for the company of actual other children for me when I was a kid 
Mm. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting and true. Entertainment should just be entertainment. When you're a kid, entertainment should just be entertainment. And that is totally okay as long as you have an external force reminding you that entertainment is just entertainment. But for those of us who are raised in the dictatorship, no one was saying that. Mm. A lot of parents mm-hmm. actually were like, you can't watch The Simpsons. And I can't put my finger on why you can't watch The Simpsons. And really it was... But I guess know that it's going to upset my situation <laughs> somehow. Because it was a fucking mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my dad shared so much in common with Homer. We, yeah, we got to watch some Simpsons. Because, yeah, I, I was asking people on Twitter, like, why was it that, like, The Simpsons was, like, public enemy number one, according to a lot of parents? Did we already talk about this? I feel like we might have already done something on I, this. I don't know, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. The, okay, yeah, let's, anyway. let's move on to the fabulous building, boys. What is the dad philosophy here? So <laughs> this is one of those uh, episodes of Saved by the Bell that does that thing that I love where they like introduce an entirely new character who no one has ever seen before <laughs> and will never see again. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and it's Rod Belding. Does he show up in other episodes? No, this is the one and only time we see Rod. Okay. And Rod Belding is Mr. Belding's brother, and he looks like the Beastmaster. (laughs) I believe he's supposed to be attractive. (laughs) He has long, blonde, fluffy blonde hair, and I think he's wearing, like, denim, a denim shirt and a a denim pant. (laughs) Tucked into Um, each other. He's beautiful. Yeah, I believe so. In a a Dolph Lundgren sort (laughs) of way. He's an Adonis. He looks like he spends... Most of his time rock climbing, you know, and if you want to date him, you got to hear about rock climbing a lot and go watch him climb on the rocks. So he's the more exciting Belding. And you're like, Mr. Belding. And you, and you do feel like you understand something about Mr. Belding, actually, because you're like, of course, Mr. Belding has a way cooler brother who's like rock climbing rod. Like he just wears <laughs> that woundedness in his every gesture. And <laughs> Right. And Zach. And so his I mean, his desire to have Zach, who is someone who is, you know, considered in this context, the coolest person in school in the whole world, in the whole world to be accepted by Zach. I mean, very clearly after you see this episode, it stems from his desire to be accepted as cool in the context of his brother. But we learn a lot about cool in this episode and we learn a lot about how responsibility is actually what's cool. This situation here is the, the, a lot of class trips as far as this class is involved. Yeah, these kids are constantly throwing carnivals and going on class trips and having extracurricular what's Well, and the carnival in the last episode was to raise money to go on a ski trip. The ski, the doer dies right. church was on a ski trip. So anyway, this, this class of very affluent children who go to a Southern California uh, uh, high school. They're getting no education because they're constantly raising money for trips. All the time with the trip. So they're going, Mr. Belding su- suggests that they go to Yellowstone. He's 
overzealous about how excited he is for this opportunity to share, not just with the kids, but share in nature and sort of have this really fantastic time. He's really diving into the planning of it. And cool brother Rod essentially sells the kids on the idea that it's better to go whitewater rafting instead that Rod can bring them whitewater rafting. They need to break it to Mr. Belding that ultimately they're not going to go on his trip. All throughout the episode, these kids are inappropriately falling in love with this 25-year-old man who has this weird sway over them. They're all getting ready to leave on the trip, but Rod isn't showing up. And so Zach, of course, goes to see what's happening in Mr. Belding's office and overhears a conversation between the genuinely heartbroken Mr. Belding and Rod, who is blowing off the students to go hang out with Inga, the stewardess. And I believe Mr. Belding is like, how can you disappoint all these kids? Um, And so Zach overhears this conversation, and then in really like a very kind of, you know, classical moment of like, displaying character growth like doesn't tell anyone about it and then like quietly talks to Mr. Belding about the moment later but in the meantime Mr. Belding comes out and he's like Rod can't make it to the trip for not being a jerk reasons (laughs) so no trip and the kids are like oh Mr. Belding what if we do your nice quiet nature trip like you said before, and they get to do Mr. Belding's original trip. Or wait, do they do whitewater rafting? I think rafting? they do whitewater rafting. And mis- oh my gosh, I'm wrong. Right, they do whitewater oh no. rafting, and Mr. Belding essentially says, I'll be happy to do it um, if you're fine with me probably drowning. Yeah, so I am concerned. Hopefully when they get to the the river, they like have a guide, and Rod wasn't going to do it all himself anyway. Cause, but you know what? That's the thing about Saved by the Bell is that we're living in a universe where like, this is little kid logic. Like, Mr. Belding can just take them all on a, on a whitewater <laughs> rafting trip. And now. it's fine it's that fine. it's totally interchangeable. Like, everything will be okay. The, in, the, yeah. the, the big reveal in the situation to me that stood out upon this watch, again, this is for whatever reason an episode that stuck with me since I was a child, is that... Zach asks Mr. Belding why he didn't tell all of the all of the kids ultimately why Rod blew them off, which was to go and sleep with a stewardess. And mm-hmm. outside of it being obvious that I'm not going to tell these children that my brother wanted to go sleep with a stewardess, um, <laughs> Mr. Belding, in kind of the sweetest way possible, is like, I didn't want to take away from you how much you admired this person. Yeah, Mr. Belding. <laughs> what is your rating of Mr. Belding as a dad? I feel like Mr. Belding would be if he were like an actual, are we talking about actual literal dad or like father figure to Zach Morris type? As the ultimate dad to all of these children. Oh, okay. I mean, I think because of his role as principal, he's like perfectly suited to it. I think if he were a dad dad, then his like need for kid approval would be more of a problem. And he would have to get over that in parenting his own children. But I think the fact that I think really Saved by the Bell is such a cuddly world to be in because the adults in it are all like pretty concerned with like the needs of the kids. And like they all come around at the end and like nothing unjust happens. Like Mr. Belding is a very just person and he's very emotionally driven. And so I think that that's like 
it's better to have too much of that in an authority figure than too little, I think, honestly. He as a, I mean, obviously he's this authoritarian figure who often is getting in the way of like Zach's plans to outsmart everyone and take everything for himself. But Mr. Mm -hmm. Balding in a lot of ways is kind of like an ideal dad. Yeah. He's not at home with them, which is ultimately like where your parents encroach on your space. Yeah. He's your daytime dad. He's like their lovable boss. (laughs) He's like Lou Grant. (laughs) He's like Michael Scott. Do you find it meaningful that the lyrics and the title of the show are saved by the bell, quote, it's all right, because I'm saved by the bell. And the main adult character is named Mr. Belding. <laughs> like, they could have named him anything. I have not, believe it or not, I have not thought too much about that. Do I? <laughs> I don't want to get all room 237 about this, but like... <laughs> Is it all right because they're saved by Mr. Belding again and again? <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm 100% in. I just read about the, the theme song, actually, because because one of the uh, one of the episodes that I watched had a different recording of the theme song. Oh, yeah. I noticed that. And I was that. like, I don't like this. So I looked it up, and apparently uh, the, the, creator, the creator of the show had commissioned the song a bunch of people submitted the song and there was an explicit direction in the commissioning of the song not to use the name of the show saved by the bell in the song (laughs) and then this guy who made the theme song who's who is a legend and i don't know what his name is submitted his version of the song against the rules which says saved by the bell easily 100 times and he uh he he wooed them with his rule breaking in the superior song it's such a great song it's really delightful (laughs) in the way just in kind of like a huey lewis and the news kind of a way right yeah absolutely it's all right because i'm saved by the band (laughs) yeah it is it is over the top a little bit of jumping Jack Flash in there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where in in this episode before um, uh, the cooler building shows up, where we see this overbearing teacher of theirs who's unremarkable in every way. We never see him in any other episodes. But there's a real Freddy scene in that. Totally. Yes. What is the scene that uh, happens here? Well, there's a moment where they're trying to study for this big history final for Mr. Dickerson. Each kid is having visions of Mr. Dickerson, like, looking up at them from the book that they're opening and, like, insulting them. And then they're like, let's take a break. And Lisa's like, yeah, let's watch Fresh Prince. And so, that's which is so cute. And so they turn on the TV and it's Mr. Dickerson <laughs> rapping in a very Will Smith kind of a way about how they're all going to fail his test. Which is, to me, uh, you know, an homage to the the great Freddy Krueger line welcome to prime time bitch (laughs) right all of the kids have their own strange projection of this of this teacher who is like haunting them Uh in some way or another and they all can see it everyone can see each other's vision of Mr. Dickerson (laughs) which is wild which again implies more about the fantasy dimensions of this universe (laughs) 
Oh, so in Saved by the Bell, dads learn immediately Mm -hmm. their uncoolness is revealed as cool. This is ultimately a place where where uh, uh, authority is oppressive in one way, yes, but ultimately it's something that can be molded to your benefit, ultimately more benevolent than you expect it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a just world where adults learn. It's a great show. (laughs) The fantasy world, as you say. When did you watch Saved by the Bell? Like what years of your life and how old were you? Probably from six to ten. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a little older than you. I'm older than you by f- exactly five years. It was in the time when there, there were less cable channels. And as a result, everything just feels like it came from one channel. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there were like the first four seasons of Saturday Night Live always playing on repeat. Mm-hmm. There was SCTV. There was a regular Nickelodeon. And there was Saved by the Bell always playing on some channel on repeat, no matter what time of day. It's also funny that like when you make a show, especially when you're like a kid actor, you have no way of guessing if you're making something that no one will ever see again. Or if it's just going to be constantly on TV for like decades. And you're going to have to live with that burden. Derek Morris and, and Mr. Belding are are the dads of the Saved by the Bell universe. Who, Sarah, is the daddy? Certainly not Rod Belding. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Rod's, Rod's a fuckboy. Yeah. <laughs> I would really, I would say... Derek Morris because there's really no greater power move than like calmly accepting criticism and being accountable and like canceling a business thing to like take your kid fishing like that's hard to beat what do you think Derek is is portrayed by an actor whose name I don't know but is someone I feel like I've seen a lot of places he also looks like a South Park character a little bit yes he does his jaw is entirely the top of his head is separated from his jaw he has a similar jaw to Mr. Max Headroom in uh in Honey I Shrunk the Kids yes he he does absolutely like he could swallow his own head they they got him from the daddy lineup they get a bunch of guys and line them up by jaw size and that's how they do casting I think but wait, and we're also leaving out, I don't want to leave out the waiter. I think this waiter is is a contender. That's who I was going to say. I think I think James, the uh, summer stock Shakespearean actor uh, <laughs> who who may be trying to groom Zach. Or maybe, is Zach paying him? Is this financially worth his while? I imagine this guy is getting paid in this situation. Right. He's a thespian. He's treading his boards. He's a thespian. He looks like he's built like Robin Williams Mm -hmm. and has a very similar manic energy. I would say of all of the characters is the most uh, highly fuckable. Yeah. All right. I'm changing my answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) To James the thespian. James the thespian waiter (laughs) is the daddy of this episode. Just write it. Write it down for posterity. Well, <laughs> 